Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its taste, with what can it be seasoned? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hilltop cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. It is set on a lampstand where it gives light to all in the house. Just so your light must shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your heavenly Father. The Gospel of the Lord. We like to talk about what is that secret that makes us really come to life or have that bright light shining through us today. We continue this great Sermon on the Mount of Jesus. We heard last week the Beatitudes, that it starts with our attitude that makes us live a blessed life. Jesus takes it another step further. He's teaching us and his disciples. He's giving us, as a great teacher, two images. Now, you, of course, could appreciate that Images like pictures or something that stay with us. They illustrate, literally illuminate the lesson and help us remember. They help us remember, like the old guy in the story. And he gives these two images of salt and light. He begins first. Jesus said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. Now, in Jesus' time, ancient first century Palestine, salt was absolutely necessary as a preservative for their meat and for their fish. Without salt, all their meat, all their fish, and they, mind you, they lived around the Sea of Galilee. Fish was a staple of their diet. Without salting it, it would spoil and quickly go bad. Jesus is saying what, what a familiar lesson to them you are salt. You are the very people that through your effect, you shall keep the world from being spoiled and going bad. You will be the ones that will preserve what is righteous and holy and good in the world. And so it is today. We must hear these words and take them personally. You are the salt of the earth. You are what this world needs. Lest the world is so bent on self-destruction through abortion, through wars, through resentment, through the way, hard, cold way we 
treat each other. We can see, in effect, a society being spoiled, can't we? And we Christians can be just what's needed to preserve the high quality of life. We can be the salt of faith, the salt of love, the salt of joy, the very thing that in Jesus' time, besides being a preservative, adds flavor to the food. Flavor to the food or quality to life. Christians are the ones by applying ourselves, giving of ourselves, sharing of ourselves, we bring out the best in people like salt or spice can bring out the best in food. But Jesus' point that he makes here is, but what if the salt goes flat? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Parenthetically, I was reminded today on the icy streets, even salt can be thrown out and trampled underfoot and serve a purpose. The point is obvious. Salt, if it becomes impure or adulterated, that is mixed with other elements, it can lose its taste and its effect can be weakened. I think the greatest indictment against us Christians today is why haven't we had a greater effect on our country and on our morals and values? Why? Except that we have become weakened and haven't applied this principle of the Lord to others and to life. We must be salt of the earth. We must be that which we allow the Lord to season our life to bring out the best of all creation, what he called us to be. The second image. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Now, it would be almost impossible to overestimate this image in the time of Christ when, in fact, Light was absolutely so important before the days of electricity, obviously. Jesus is drawing on a familiar image. He's reaching back to the Old Testament when in Psalm 119, Israel prayed, Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Isn't that wonderful? Lord, your word is a light unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. That is why we have lit those candles and placed them at your tables today to say when we come here, God's word is what enlightens us. Holy gospel is like lighting a little candle and it illuminates us, enlightens us. So we in turn could be that light, share that light and be that bright sight to others. In Isaiah, Jesus is recalling too, it's stated in chapter 42, God says that I have called you, Israel, to be a light to the nations. And Jesus is taking this passage and drawing on it and personalizing it. He's looking at his society that was too familiar with being a dark society being a time as, as we experience today, you know, I often look at American society and say, we're going through a dark chapter in our history, aren't we? Sociologists say that we are living 
in American society today in a post-Christian era. Can you imagine? That is to say, we're no longer being guided by the light of Christian principles and morals. I think that's obvious, isn't it? What an indictment against us. And what a challenge that is to us, that we would take the light of the Lord and let it be our guiding light, maybe a warning light to our nation. Jesus says to his disciples, this is your mission. You must be the light to the world. He goes on and, and adds this second little allusion. It's, it's wonderful. I didn't quite understand it myself. It's, he says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. What he's referring to is, in fact, Jerusalem that was built on Mount Zion. And the Old Testament prophets envisioned that all the nations, that is, all the world, would come to Jerusalem to be enlightened with the Word of God, the Torah. And it was that light in the temple that was to enlighten and guide the whole world. You know, we have that light. We have that light, and it burns in our sanctuary every single day to proclaim the true presence of Christ in the sacrament of the Eucharist and in the sacred scriptures. But how often that light has been burning dim and sometimes burning out because we haven't rekindled that appreciation for God's word and God's sacraments, especially the Holy Eucharist. Jesus says, we are, especially the church today, that city on a hilltop. It's been my dream that this cathedral could be that kind of place in the valley, that people could come to have their hearts rekindled with a deep desire, that longing for the Lord by lighting that candle in our minds. I've once heard it said, and I credit the Christopher movement who have this motto, it is better to light one candle than to curse the darkness. Isn't that a great motto for any of us? You know, we could get angry at all the bad things happening in the world today, and we could complain from now till doomsday, but it's better to light one candle. What is that candle we can light? Ask yourself that question. What is the candle that we can light to shine bright? Jesus develops this image when he says, men or women do not light a lamp and then put it under a bushel basket. They set it on a stand where it gives light to all in the house. We could read into this some of the sociological insight from the time of Christ, realizing that ancient Palestinian homes were very dark. They were lucky if they had one, if any, windows. And so they were oftentimes, especially during the evening, they relied entirely on a lamp, which would be an oil lamp. A small wick would lie on this small dish or little boat of oil, and it would be set on what would be just a tree limb or a small piece of wood hung in the center or side of the single room that most of these homes consisted of. And when a person would retire or when a, 
a family would go out of the house. What they often would do is take that light in order to avoid the risk of a possible fire or worse yet, that light going out, they would put it under a earthen bushel basket so that it would not be extinguished or catch fire. Remember, these are the days before matches. It wasn't easy to relight these wicks. And what a perfect analogy that is, isn't it? Because frankly, what Jesus is saying, what we need to hear today is, don't put your light under a bushel basket. Don't hide your faith. Don't hold back on your love. Don't deny your God-given gifts. Yet, admittedly, one of the worst faults I find among us Catholic Christians, and perhaps Christians at large, is that we're too shy to share our faith. Would you agree? We don't want to go to the other extreme and, you know, knocking people down with the hitting them over the head with a Bible. And of course, that's awful. On the other hand, we've held on too much to the faith ourselves, considering it a private matter. I was on the phone the other day with someone who was sharing with me intimate details of their sexual life. And I raised the question, well, can you tell me, brother, where are you with the Lord? And he says, hey, Father, that's a personal matter. (laughs) But isn't that the way we are today? We've got to bring it out in the light. Jesus is asking us to let the light of our faith shine bright. I wonder, as I've often asked, and people are asking, why is it so many of our younger people no longer go to church? Why is it so much of my generation no longer regularly comes to church on Sunday? They're obviously not bad. They're good people living a very godly life. And yet, I wonder if it's because, and I don't think it's any one reason, but I I struggle to understand it myself, that somehow we haven't fanned that flame of faith more. We haven't prayed enough with our family and for our family. And the way, of course, to bring them back to God's house, to the place where the light shines bright, is, I think, to pray them back home and to encourage them to come back home. We need them, and I believe they need us, because we need each other. Because the light is not only in the church, it's in ourselves who are church. We carry that sanctuary light in our soul. And that's something to think about. And that is something to get excited about. But that needs to be rekindled because God knows that light grows weak through the week, right? We all have this, what seems like a dimmer effect, you know? We start out strong on Sunday and grow weak through the week. It needs to be turned up, the rheostat, turned up. We need that shot in the arm. Who doesn't need that? Somehow we haven't convinced our people enough. And maybe because the reason isn't we haven't turned up the lights in church on Sunday. Too many of our churches are still very cool in the way we treat each other, not speak to each other. We have to turn up the heat and turn up the light. We have to be that light. And when we are that, people will love to come to church because they will know what they're receiving is the very source of life that we all desire. So Jesus says, we are to be that light. Why? 
He says, so that others may see goodness in your acts and give praise to your heavenly Father. We need to hear this loud and clear. Jesus is stating the purpose of a lamp is not to draw attention to itself, but only to give light to others. And so it is the purpose, the mission of the disciples is not that we would draw attention to ourselves, but only to give light to God's presence, God's love, that others could see him and give praise to him. And so this teaching of Christ begs the question and reflection from us, how do we become enlightened? What brightens our day? Where do we go to really light this fire of desire, to burn with a yearning for God? Where do we go? Where is that fanned into a flame? How do we keep this light from going out or growing dim? In asking those questions, I'd like to suggest one of the best ways of learning about the light is to look to certain people who I like to speak of as people who are truly radiant and brilliant. They are like bright lights, not unlike the stars, that shine in a certain constellation in our own communities and stand out against the backdrop of a dark society and world. God puts in our lives to be a guiding light like the stars. I find, and I'm sure you find these people among our own workplace and in our own churches, in our own families. And these people are like saints. And like the saints, as artists have portrayed them, these holy and loving people have a certain halo effect. You could almost see this invisible yet spiritual aura about them, can't you? It shines around their face and shines through their eyes. You've seen it. I know you have. It is that light of the Lord that just emanates and radiates from them. These are the people God puts in our life that we need to be with. And don't we love being with them? Because they brighten our day, don't they? And you feel like you're in the presence of the Lord when you're with someone who's truly loving And I'd like to speak of one such person. In fact, as I was praying with this gospel, this is a person that came to my mind. When I asked myself, who is such a bright light? A person that all of us recognize is a living saint in the world today. One of the most loving people that we in this modern age are blessed to know. And you know her name is Mother Teresa. You know, I was blessed when I was preaching the mission in Grenada to visit a home of the missionaries of charity. As we went into the home, the first thing that struck me as the sisters greeted us at the door was how they have this light in their eyes. And I felt this warmth. It was quite amazing and stood in in contrast to the stark poverty that, that surrounded them in their home and in their neighborhood. I was amazed by it. I said, what is it about these sisters? They're radiant. They're jubilant. What is it? I was struck by something that I'd heard some years ago. 
It was Malcolm Muggeridge. Have you heard of the name? He was one of the great British television newscasters and was sent to Calcutta, India to do a story on Mother Teresa. At the time he was sent to do the story, he was an atheist. He did not believe in God. He did not believe in anything that Mother Teresa and her sisters were really about. But something happened there. And I want to report it to you as I read it. He said... The TV crew came to Calcutta unprepared for what they would see, not only with poverty, but with their own equipment. They didn't anticipate the very dim lighting of their home for the dying. And so they looked to each other and said, we don't think we can really take any film footage here. It's far, far too dark. But thinking on the off chance that maybe something might be picked up. They said, let's just go ahead and shoot and see what comes out. And to their great surprise, the film turned out to be spectacular. The whole interior room was bathed in what they called a mysterious warm light. Technically speaking, and the camera crew said the results were impossible to explain. And I quote Malcolm Muggeridge himself. He said, Mother Teresa's home for the dying is overflowing with love. One senses this immediately on entering it. Their love is luminous. Like halos artists have seen and made visible around the heads of the saints, I am not surprised that their luminosity should register on photographic film. What's interesting is when that negative was developed, Malcolm Muggeridge became a Christian, converted by the light that was so bright in the life of Mother Teresa. And he went on to write the book, many of you have read, Something Beautiful for God. Again, if I could report just a few things I've been rereading and learning. Mother Teresa, much to my surprise, was a very simple woman. She first joined the order of the Sisters of Loretta, where she went then, was sent by them to teach at a high school in India, where she always wanted to be. And she took the name Teresa after the little flower, although it's not spelled the same. She knew that her little way was the way to Jesus. Mother Teresa spent 14-some years just teaching, get this, geography which really helped her in years to come. Think about it. And teaching a catechism. It was in those years, too, she learned Hindi and Bengali, languages she would need for her ministry. They interviewed many of the sisters who lived with her and worked with her, and all of them had the consensus that the thing about Mother Teresa is that she had been a very physically weak person. Can you imagine? Physically weak person who was a very ordinary person that she never stood out in any way. Because she was not physically strong, she had contracted tuberculosis. Now look how God used this. Because of that, she had to give up her teaching position, which at the time then was the principal of the school. And she took a train to a city nearby Calcutta, Darjeeling. And on that train ride, It happened to be September 10th, 1946. Mother Teresa 
received a color call from Christ. In her own words, she explained, and when Christ calls, the only thing to do is to say yes. The message was clear. I was to give up all and follow Jesus into the slums to serve him in the poorest of the poor. I knew it was his will that I had to follow him. There was no doubt that it was to be his work. I was to leave the convent and work with the poor living among them. It was an order. I knew where I belonged, but I sure did not know how to get there. What fate it took her to leave the comfortable convent and go out into the streets where it all began the first day when she found someone lying dying in the gutter and she took him into her care and so began, unbeknownst to her at the time, what Christ would use as a powerful tidal movement in the missionary of charity that would follow. As I read her reflections and that of her sister's I'd like to highlight from a simple path. We often look at Mother Teresa and can make the mistake of making her into one of the saints, like the plaster saints we put on a pedestal, and forget, by her admission, she's only a little pencil in the mighty hand of God. She is such a simple, simple woman. If I were to ask you, what do you think is her great talent? we would say, I think you're asking the wrong question. It's not a question of talent, right? And yet that's what we ask ourselves. I don't know. I don't have a bright light. I don't shine out among others. I don't have any great talent. But that's the wrong question to ask, I think. Look at Mother Teresa. What is her gift? In her own words, I say her gift is Jesus. Mother Teresa says, we are not here for work. We are here for Jesus. All we do is for Jesus. We serve Jesus in serving the poor. We nurse Jesus. We feed Jesus. We clothe Jesus. We visit Jesus. We comfort Jesus in taking care of the poor and the abandoned and the sick and the orphaned and the dying. But all we do, we do for Jesus. Our life has no other reason and no other motivation Jesus is the light. And if we make Jesus the light, brothers and sisters, we have what this world needs, which is our only Savior. We have Jesus if we allow the Lord to grow in us and shine through us. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.